try to be brief and uh, just continue to pray for me as I'm filling in for Pastor Parker uh, that God will use me as his vessel today. So if we could stand, turn to the book of Isaiah. Maybe I should just put my readers on instead of squinting. The book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Praise God. Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And when you're there, say amen. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. Everybody say, proclaim liberty to the captives and to opening of the prison to them that are bound. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you today. We give you praise and glory and honor for your goodness and grace and mercy that you would minister in this service. And as I minister, Lord, to this people, that you would move among them, O oh God, that your spirit would have your way in this place today. Cause me to speak the word you'd have me to speak in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And in verse 2 there, it says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. So we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to you today about proclaiming liberty. Proclaiming liberty. This scripture is also found in the book of Luke chapter 4 verse 16 through 21. And, in, and verse 16 starts out and says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's a direct quote out of Isaiah 61 and 1. And it goes on to say in verse 20, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What was he saying to them? He was saying, this person, whoever this is being written about, is standing right here in front of you and just read it to you. I'm, I am He. I'm the one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm that one that has, has anointed, the, the Spirit has anointed to preach the gospel. He is saying to them, I am God. That's why they hated Him so much. Because they could not figure that out. So we're going to talk about proclaiming liberty today. In the complete Jewish Bible, that verse in, in Isaiah 61 and 1 says, The Spirit of Adonai Elohim 
is upon me because Adonai has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to let out into light those bound in the dark. Isn't that a good description of people today in our world? They are bound in darkness. And in, in those days, in, in the, when you were bound in prison, you were bound literally in the darkness. They didn't have lighted prisons. It was usually a cave or a hole in the ground. And so you were in darkness. What a picture of how where we are in, in, a, in, in this world today. Individuals out there that are lost, they are spiritually blind. They are spiritually in darkness, bound in their minds by the enemy who has them living in the darkness of sin. And such were some of you, right? Amen. And so that word liberty in the Hebrew in Isaiah 61 and 1, it means basically comes down to the word emancipation. We've all heard of that word before. Emancipation proclamation. Anybody ever heard of that? That was all about what? Freeing slaves. Emancipation. You, you can have an emancipation order if, if you've got a situation where you're, you're paying child support on, on a child. A judge can take you and, and actually a court proceeding where that child is emancipated from that order. Once he reaches a certain age, he can be emancipated so that there's no more money transactions involved in supporting that child because now he's an adult. So that word emancipation is about setting free, setting somebody free, breaking somebody free from something that's bound them. Okay? And that word liberty in the Greek it means to cause to stand away, to release one's sins from the sinner. Forgiveness, remission. We'll talk about those two words in a minute. We've heard those words somewhere in the New Testament before, I think. This required Christ's sacrifice as punishment of sin, hence the putting away of sin and the deliverance of the sinner from the power of sin. Although not from its presence, which will come later after the resurrection when our very bodies will be redeemed. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that word liberty has, has a lot of meanings. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, it says, Liberty proclaimed to all bond servants in the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee. What was the year of Jubilee? That was the year when all of the bond servants and, and a lot of, they didn't have, they weren't slaves necessarily, they were just willing bond servants. And they were set free in the year of Jubilee. They could go back to their lands, they could go back to their families, everybody was set free in the year of Jubilee. And isn't it fitting that our revival that we're going to be having is all about Jubilee? Amen? The opening of the prison it talks about in that scripture, it says, of the eyes of them that are bound, that is, deliverance from prison for captives, are as it were blind in darkness of prison. Israel was blinded by their own wants, their own desires, and their own traditions, and they decided they didn't, that God brought them this far, they'd be okay without him, they'd go serve their own gods for a while. And what happened to Israel every time they did that? They were bound and put in bondage. Because why? They were, they were literally spiritually in darkness. 
They couldn't see clearly. And it talks about the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee on which liberty was proclaimed to the captives. Isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost? Isn't that what happened when we came to God? Weren't we set free? In Jesus' name? Praise God. The year of the Lord's favor is a description of the year of Jubilee found in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. The year of total forgiveness of debt is now turned into a metaphor for salvation. And Jesus was telling those people in that synagogue that day, I have come to fulfill this. I've come to proclaim that God is ready to forgive totally. And I am he. That's what he told the woman at the well when she was talking about this Messiah that was going to come. And he said, what did he say to her? He said, I, the one you're looking at, am he. I'm the one. You don't have to look any farther. You found me. I'm standing right here in front of you. So the religious leaders said to Jesus one time, uh, he was, t- he was, when it was when he healed the guy that had palsy, that had the, the four men that bore him and put him up on the roof and dropped him down in the middle of the room. And he said to this man, thy sins did be forgiven thee. And what did the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious people in that room say? They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Duh. <laughs> right? They had the answer standing right in front of them, and they didn't realize what was going on. And they they just were baffled that he would stand there and say to a man, sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee. And so what did he say after that? Okay, fine, then get up, pick up your bed, and walk. But he was trying to send a message that I'm here, I've come to proclaim liberty. He was setting people free when nobody else in the, the whole world at that time could do that. They were bringing everybody to him. Those that were sick of the palsy, those that were, they were full of devils and whatever, whatever malady anybody had, they were bringing them to Jesus. If anybody can deliver him, he can. And he was setting people at liberty. He was setting the stage for something great that was about to happen in these religious Jews' life. And so the day of Pentecost was not just something that happened In the book of Acts. We realize that now that it's not just something that happened in the book of Acts. It's, it surely is not just something that began in a small building on Azusa Street in California in 1901. The Azusa Street Revival. That's not where Pentecost started. That was just a continuation of something that already had been happening. Because the book of Acts is still happening. We're, we're still living in the book of Acts. We're still writing the book of Acts as we live our lives every day. This was a feast of the Jews that had been, that they had been celebrating for, for centuries. The Jews weren't, they weren't gathered in Jerusalem that day, uh, to see the things that took place in the upper room. They had no clue. They had no idea what was about to happen in that upper room. They were there because it was the, the time of Pentecost. And, and they were just there for the Jewish feast day and celebrating the harvest and, of, and liberty. They were doing the same thing that they had done for hundreds of years. All the men had gathered there. So the term Pentecost comes from the Greek term that means 50th. And it refers to the festival celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. 
the day that we commonly know as Easter. And it is also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Fifty Days. And it's all, it's in, in the Jewish nation, it's called Shavuot, meaning weeks. And it has many, like I said, many names. Feast of Weeks, Feast of Harvest, Feast of Ladder, First Fruits. And it's celebrated the 50th day after Passover. And it's traditionally a joyous time of giving thanks and presenting offerings for the new grain and the summer wheat harvest. Remember, we were talking about that a few months ago, about they would bring the sheep offering, right? And then they would have, they would wave that wave offering before the Lord, before they took the harvest up. And then after that, they had seven weeks to get the harvest out of the field. Seven weeks of seven days is what? Forty-nine. And so it's all about the harvest. It's all about God's blessing. It's all about, and then after seven years, they would have this liberty, this, this, this time of being, of the, the, those that are unbound being set free. And so isn't it unique? Doesn't it, doesn't it seem to, unique to you that God would use this same Jewish festival, the same whole concept and idea, when it came to announcing and birthing the church that we know today on the day of Pentecost, the day of harvest. If you think about it, that, that day was really the end of the harvest. It was the end of the harvest. But on that day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts, it was really the end of a harvest and the beginning of a new one at the same time. Because... Old things were passed away. The old law was done away with. Jesus came to, to fulfill the law and to start that new, that new covenant. That new covenant. We didn't, we don't have to, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. Jesus became that spotless lamb. That's one of the things they had to do on Pentecost. They had to bring some animals for sacrifice. And he became our sacrifice on that day of Pentecost. How awesome is that? Is this all right? Praise God. And so 50 days after Passover or after the passion of Jesus Christ, something happened. Something happened. And Jesus was setting all of this in order. And he spent the first 30 years of his life relatively unknown by people. It was only in the last three years of his life that he really exercised his ministry. Up to that point, he was just a carpenter's son. But there came a day where he walked out of the carpenter's shop and he put the lock on the door for the last time. And he walked out that day. The first thing he did is he went and found John. And he went and got baptized by John, and that launched his ministry. And for the next three, three and a half years, he, his ministry was all about preparing the way for this day of Pentecost to come. He knew what, he already, he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. Pentecost was God's idea from the beginning. It was a part of his plan long before there was ever to be a book of Acts, Pentecost experience. 
What happened on that great day of Pentecost in Jerusalem was planned down to the minutest detail. He knew exactly who was going to be there, and he knew exactly who the preacher was going to be, and Jesus specifically selected these 12 men and prepared them for what was about to take place. They had no idea. And it went from being a celebration of the harvest of grain and, and a liberation of physical bond servants to a celebration of spiritual harvest and a setting at liberty those who are bound spiritually. Thank God for that today. Thank God for that today. And as I said, there were 12 men chosen. Jesus began to prepare them to, to launch the church. And so we, we find in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16, says, Then, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So he's telling them all power and authority is given unto him in heaven and earth. And he's given them that command that we talked about this morning, to go ye therefore and teach all nations. He's talking about making disciples. Go and do what I've done to you. I have spent this, this last few years preparing you for this. You're going to go and do, do thou likewise. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every creature, every individual, every being. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues and they shall... Take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. He was preparing these men for that day of Pentecost. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do, why do the, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that I, as I myself, handle me and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they yet believed not for joy, he, and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, This, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. See, there had been so many things written about this man called Jesus all throughout the Psalms, the prophets. They, he had been prophesied about for, for eons and decades. And the Jews knew that. And he's, he's talking to his followers now. He said, he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. It behooved him. He had to do it. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So all through the Gospels, Jesus is setting this up. He's preparing He's preparing their hearts and minds for what's about to happen. John chapter 20 verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening became the first, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had said, so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad, and they saw that they saw when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He's sending his disciples once again. Now we're going to move on to the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts, chapter one, verse six says, And when they therefore were come together, they were they had a spirit of unity. They asked him, saying, Lord, what wilt thou at this time, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Not just power just for yourself, but you're going to use this power throughout all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This thing is going to go worldwide. Amen? So now we're going to go, we're going to, we're finally getting to that place. We're going to get to the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 1. says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, remember, we were talking about Pentecost. This was a time when all of the men were required to gather in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this, this Jewish feast. And this Jewish feast was all about what? Setting captives free, right? Setting the bond servants free. That, that day of Jubilee where, where you've been a bond servant for seven years, well, now you get to go free. Now, you're not a bond servant anymore. You get to go back to your family. You get to, and, and, and in addition to that, they weren't taking any harvest in. They were just eating whatever grew up out of the land. And so this is all taking place, and all these Jews are in this place from all of these cities. We're going to read about this. 
They were all come, they were all with one accord in one place. Those disciples that he had told them, go into Jerusalem until you be endued with power on high. What do you think they did? They did exactly what he said. They went, they found an upper room and they went there. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house, filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this wasn't just some jibber-jabber. This wasn't just some gibberish that they were doing. This was languages. That word tongues there is talking about actual languages. And we'll see that here in just a minute. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Talk about God orchestrating a revival at exactly the moment when Jews and people from all over the world were were congregated in one place. He got them all together first, and then he launched this thing. Now, when he was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were scratching their heads because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these all which speak Galileans? Well, and what what was the big deal with the Galileans? Well, Galileans were considered to be stupid, uneducated, backwards, bumpkin, somebody from out in the sticks somewhere. They didn't have any education. They There was no way they would even know anything other than their own language, much less somebody else's language. So this is why they were so confounded. They heard these people in this room, men and women, Galileans speaking in other languages that were not their own native language. And they're scratching their heads going, how can this be? These aren't educated people. And now here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and in Egypt and all and in the parts of Libya uh, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome Jews and proselytes Cretes and Arabians we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God they were speaking in another language and they were praising and magnifying and worshiping the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings and these Jews could not understand how these dumb Galileans could be doing this they weren't doing it <laughs> They were filled with the Spirit. And it goes on. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? What, what does this all mean? Others mocking. And these, now you have to understand, these are Jews that are supposed to know Scripture. They should have known what this was. But they didn't. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They're drunk. And Peter standing up and with this. Now this is key right here. Peter, standing up with the eleven, he stood up, and the eleven stood up with him. They had a spirit of unity. They had the unity of the spirit. Those men were standing up with him. If, if you've ever seen 
uh, a politician in Washington, when they get up to make some big announcement, they'll go out on the steps of the Congress or whatever, and they'll stand there and get all these mics set up, and the one guy that's speaking will stand, and all the other guys will stand all lined up behind him. And why? what's the message they're sending? We stand with that guy. He's speaking for us. We all stand together. We're, we're united in this, whatever he's about to say, we're united in this thing. And so that's what happened here. Peter, he wasn't the only one. He just was a spokesman. But he said, it says here, Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words that he was speaking for God, right? For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third. It's too early in the day for them to be drinking. Next verse. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Don't, haven't you all read your scriptures lately? That's what he was saying. And it shall come to pass in that last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. They shall preach. And I will show signs and wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Coming of the Lord, right? And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call. Key right here. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? We're going to find out here in a minute. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Not just call out the name of the Lord. You got to call on it for a reason, right? You got to, you got to invoke it. That's what that, that call on means. If you look it up in, in the Greek, it means to invoke the name. So it shall come to pass that whosoever shall invoke the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. He's just rehashing all the events that have happened up to this point. Which God did by him. God did it by him. Just like he does it by us, right? We're just vessels. In the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. You all know this. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You thought you all were the ones that killed him. But God determined this was going to happen. You had nothing to do with it. You were just a vessel being used to promote God's will. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I... I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. That right hand is important. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. He wasn't staying in that grave longer than he needed to. Thou hast made known 
to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, God swore with an oath. Once you swear with an oath, you can't take it back. And if God swore with an oath and didn't keep his oath, that would mean he's not God. So God swore with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Here he is. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. I'm getting to a point here. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, that promise of the Father, right? That's the promise of the Father. He told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. What power? The promise of the Father that Joel talked about, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the infilling. Be clothed with that thing and promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. We're not drunk. This isn't some weird happening thing. If you guys have been reading your scriptures, you would know exactly what this is. This is that. That this is that promise of the Father. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith to himself, The Lord said, said, said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel. What's the house of Israel? All the Jews. That's what that means. Know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, that one you just killed, because you wanted to get rid of him, because he was messing with your religious experiences and your religious traditions. He hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord what did we say Lord was this morning? That's the, 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 the Hebrew word equivalent of that word Lord in the Old Testament is Jehovah. Lord and Christ. Christ is what? The Redeemer. The Anointed One. He has made him both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, so what was Peter doing? He was preaching a sermon, right? And he was rehashing some information they already knew. He was bringing conviction to their hearts. Peter was, wasn't saying anything that they didn't already know. He was just going over some things and reminding them, of, here's what you did and here's why it had to happen. And now I've come to this place where I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. What does that mean? Anybody ever had that feeling like when you've said something you shouldn't have said to somebody? You've done something you shouldn't have done? Speeding, you, you know that the blue lights in your mirror is not, he's not going around you after somebody else, he's after you. You get that sinking feeling like, oh my God, what have I said? What have I done? And the first thing you think of is, how can I make this right? Anybody ever felt that way? I have felt that way a lot. You know, I mean, we do, we, we're human. We put our foot in our mouth sometimes and we say things and we think, you can't unsay it. 
But what do you want to do? You want to go make it right, don't you? I am so sorry. You just want to get down on your knees and say, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Can you forgive me? Right? We want to make it right. We might have said it to our spouse. We might have said it to our child. Right? There were some times I had to go back to my kids and say, and sit them down and say, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's hard to do that. But it, it hurt me more to not do it. And so that's what's happening here. He has been preaching this message. He's been talking to them about this on this day of Pentecost. He's got this captive audience. And he had this profound thing happen. They all come filing out of this house, speaking in these tongues and magnifying God. And he's got everybody's attention. And then God says, okay, Peter, go. And this wasn't just, he wasn't somebody special. I mean, he, he was the one that denied Jesus Christ three times. After Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, he said, oh, no, I'm not. And as soon as he heard that cock crow, what happened? He knew. He had that same sinking feeling like, oh, he said I was going to do this. Ah. Oh. And one of those two guys went out and killed himself, but Peter went and repented, didn't he? Because Jesus said, you're going to have the keys of the kingdom, and I'm going to use you. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Not this thing. Not their ticker. They were pricked in their inner being. Something got a hold of them. They realized they had made a serious mistake. Oh, my God. We've killed the Lord of glory. We're guilty. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, those other 11 guys standing there with him, man and brethren. Now they weren't dumb Galileans anymore, were they? Uh -uh. <laughs> they were speaking under the power of the Holy Ghost. They had power. That power of God was moving through the words that they were saying, and it was having an effect on these people. They had no idea that God was dealing with them. He, because, you know, God was reaching for them. He wanted them. He wanted them too. He didn't want to leave them in the state they were in. He wanted them. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this right? Right? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission or the forgiveness, we talked about that in Sunday school, adult Discipleship this morning, that same word, that's that same word, remission of sins, and you shall, not you might, not, not a certain generation, not this is for then, but not now, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What was the gift of the Holy Ghost? The only, the only experience they knew was what they just had. You, you're gonna receive what we just had. You want, you want this? This is what we had to do. Then Peter, okay, and go ahead to the next verse. For the promise, what promise? Promise of the Father, right? Promise is unto you, talking to the audience, the crowd he's talking to, your children, the ones that are alive now, maybe the ones you haven't had yet, and to all that are far off, generations, not just down the road, but generations, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
No man comes to him, what? Except he draws them. No, we don't come to him of our own volition. We don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to go to church today and serve God. Mm-mm. He put that in you first. He gave you that desire. He put Somebody was praying for you. Sister Linda was talking about praying for this lady. You just keep praying for somebody if you're praying for them. Because one day they're going to wake up and something's just going to get a hold of them and they're not going to understand why. And they've been fighting this for years and they're going to one day they're going to say, you know what? <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, but I think I'm going to go to church today. Not so weird because you've been covering them in prayer and God's going to, God's getting a hold of their heart. He wants them too. As bad or worse than you do when you're praying for them. And so, for this promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That kind of takes it all the way fast forward to 2018 in May, right here in La Crosse, Wisconsin, doesn't it? Because God is not, He doesn't have an ending. He doesn't have a beginning. As many as the Lord are, He's, and we're still in the book of Acts, right? So He's still calling people. Next verse. And with many other words did he testify and exhort. He was telling them his testimony. He was going, guys, I was the one that denied Jesus Christ. I was the one. I should be the least, I should be the last one up here preaching to you. But here I am. Because of his mercy and grace, I'm the one that is privileged to preach this message. Save yourselves. Now, we can't save ourselves, can we? Not really. But what was he saying when he said that? Give yourself the opportunity to repent. Turn, repent, turn from this wicked generation. Save yourselves. Take the opportunity that's been placed before you right now. So he's preaching to a crowd of, who knows how many, tens of thousands maybe, in Jerusalem. Lots of people. And it goes on in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow. Only 3,000? Sound doesn't sound like, it sounds like a lot, but it's not really a lot if you think about the large multitude of people that were there that day. But thank God that there were 3,000 people that God that allowed God to prick their heart, that felt that, uh, and said, man, I, gotta, I can't keep living like I'm living. i got to get it right. Whatever they're saying, if, it, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And that's what this Pentecost is all about, setting at liberty them that are bruised, setting the captives free. The Bible says that Satan has blinded us at his own will. He's blinded the minds of them that are lost. They don't even know they're lost. They don't realize that they're lost. They don't realize that their mind, and they're in prison in their mind. They not, might not be in a physical jail cell, but they're in prison. This world has them imprisoned with its way and its and it's going to take them down and destroy them. But such were some of you, the Bible says. Right? Because it says in that 40, 40th verse, Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Let's stand in this room today.
God's able to do greater things than we can imagine. He, he can, he can take a drug abuser. He can take an alcoholic. Uh, we have a man in Florida that just, uh, turned his church over to someone else after pastoring for 30 plus years. And he was the worst drunk alcoholic you ever could imagine when God found him. And God delivered him from that and made him a mighty man of God and a pastor. But it all started at, at this point right here. He had to hear a message preached. He had to realize his situation and his condition. And God had to be the one to bring him to that place. And then he had to make a decision, just like those 3,000 did on that day of Pentecost. He had to make a decision that day. And he made the best decision he could have ever made. Those 3,000 people didn't turn, didn't regret making that decision. Because with, it says that they went out into, they went out in, into their neighborhoods and they started talking to their neighbors and they, and God gave them and having favor with all the people and God added to the church daily that day from that day on, such as should be saved, such as were being saved. And how were they being saved? These people that were saving, that were giving their testimonies and talking about what just happened on the day of Pentecost, they were giving their testimony and they were convincing other people just like Peter just did. The other people were making decisions and saying, you know what, i got to have that. I feel that same conviction. And the Lord's going to add. So it doesn't just end on the day of Pentecost. It doesn't just end with this experience, does it? For this promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off. It's up to us. Because what did he do on that day? He made disciples of men. And they turned around, and, and, and it's just a, an ongoing process. It just keeps going like dominoes. One hits the other one, and then the next one falls. Praise God. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and grace and mercy. Lord, I don't know if there's somebody in here that needs the Holy Ghost. I don't know if there's somebody in here that needs, that feels like they're not where they are. But if there is somebody in this room today... Today is the day of your salvation.